Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name's Mackin. Welcome to my podcast. It's called Happy Sad Talk Thing, and uh, it's a one-way medium, so you can't really answer the question, how's it going? Uh, you could answer. I'll leave some space for you to answer um, just by yourself. This will be a fun little game that we can play. Hey, how's it going? You think I give a fuck? Sorry about that. I don't know what came over me. Um... <laughs> I'm sitting alone in my apartment uh, recording this podcast intro. Um, it's the first week back from spring break. I just had a nice cup of good earth tea, and they give you a nice little slogan on the you know, tea bag. Um, they're pretty lame, though. They used to be really cool and thought-provoking, and now they're just like, man, life's a garden. Like, y- you should be a flower or something. <laughs> Not that, but... Just really lame and and uh, cliche inspirational stuff. Um, kind of like this podcast, am I right? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, I hope you're doing well. Um, the world is a cool place. I recently put out um, an EP of my songs uh, called Projector, and um, this is the first time I'm recording a podcast since putting it out. Um, it's available on SoundCloud. And uh, you can find it on my website, macandcarol.com. Um, or you can go to my SoundCloud page, which is that name. Um, yeah, or you can go to my official fan page, uh, found at facebook.com slash macandcarolmusic. <laughs> um, man, I've already done like four fake laughs on this <laughs> podcast intro. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's weird making a uh, Facebook fan page for yourself, you know. It feels very narcissistic. Um, but at the end of the day, like, uh, you know, if I, w- I want to be, you know, taken seriously as a performing musician, you know, that's something that you need. And that's uh, a lot of the capital that you have as a um, performer and uh is, you know, social media likes. And so if I have a page with a lot of likes, I can, like, get better shows and stuff. <laughs> you know? And so it's weird because, you know, I I promote myself on my personal Facebook page and my personal Instagram, as well as do other stuff. But, I mean, you know, it's access to a community to which I... And that's, you know, I share my life. And a lot of my life is the things that I make. And so I share them on there. And so it's weird making a crossover to, like, an official capacity, like, uh, one way. Like, because, you know, when you're Facebook friends, you're peers or something. But being a fan page is just like, okay, I am the entity of worship and you are the fan. <laughs> <laughs> Not that anyone thinks about it that dramatically. But I, I just mean that's that's how I feel about it as an insecure person, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, like, you know, people want to support. And um, I don't know, it's maybe good to have... A focused area to do that in. Um, I already have a website with my name on it, which already feels douchey. Um, but, you know, it's my career, so that's what I'm doing. Anyways, that was a response to no one who gave me shit for starting <laughs> a Facebook fan page for myself. Um, anyways, Projector uh, is an EP that I worked on. Um, I'm going to play one of the songs uh, from it um, right now, actually. Um, this is the first track on the EP. It's called Simple Game. And uh, I recorded it with uh, someone who I'm I'm good friends with now. And I was friends with before I recorded it. But I definitely like 
got super close with this guy, uh, Alex Pacino, as a record of recording, as a record, as a result of recording this EP. And uh, we made it in his bedroom. And um, just because he's an excellent producer and, uh, you know, recording artist, like, it sounds really good to me. And it doesn't sound like we're in a bedroom. Um, and it was just so fun, you know, because I. I have a band, uh, the Nova Darlings, and, and we are an indie rock band, and, and we made some recordings a while ago. We have an EP called Songs for Felix that's on Spotify and iTunes and stuff. Um, so I've, I've uh, that was the, probably the first like main project that I worked on uh, that was like, you know, recording something and in a studio. And uh, well, we started in a studio and then we finished it in a bedroom, but. Um, and putting something out. Um, with a th- when you do something with a band and you have arrangements that you're working with already and then you go to record them, while it's super fun to to make a record, you, you kind of can hear it because you know what the live thing is like. And um, as a solo artist, you know, I, I just play the acoustic guitar and sing. So, like, having a record with full instrumentation on it, like, the first time I'm hearing these things really come to life is in this recording process, you know? And so adding drums and keys and, uh, you know, shaker and harmonies and, uh, like, uh, electric guitar and all this, all this, uh, you know, production, like, it was so exciting because I had never heard it before, you know? And I was like, oh, my God, like, we're creating bass parts as we're going along because I came up with my acoustic guitar and then we sort of arranged these things together. Um, and we're just, I don't know, so I was, like, building this thing and it was gradually happening and... Uh, Really interesting. A lot more uh, anxiety recording a solo thing um, because it's just under my name, you know? And so it, I'm the only one, <laughs> I guess, uh, accountable for it. Um, definitely not the only one responsible for it as far as, like, uh, Alex Pacino. Like, just, well, what a tremendous <laughs> what a tremendous human being he is. But um, he's an incredible producer, and working with him was super awesome. And, uh, you know, I had friends playing on it and stuff like that. And uh, people that Alex knew playing some of the instruments on it and stuff. Um, but anyways, it was a really cool process. And, and it's, uh, I don't know, I, you go through periods when you're making stuff of like, this is the greatest thing ever. And like, this is the worst thing ever. So, uh, but it always feels good to to put things out in the universe. Um, especially if you've been sitting on them for a while. And you get to share them. And, uh, yeah, so now when people ask me what I do and I say I'm a singer-songwriter, I have a reference point, (laughs) you know, and proof that I exist in the universe and stuff. Um, So, yeah, here's a track off my uh, solo EP. It's called Projector um, is the name of the EP, and the name of the song is Simple Game. And I'm going to stop talking and play the music now. Here we go. Play. 
Yeah, so if you dig that, check out the rest of the EP on SoundCloud. Um, yeah, I hope you like it. Um, this is an incredible episode of Happy Sad Talk Thing, and I'm so excited to show it to you guys. Um, it's a conversation that I don't think I would have gotten to have if I didn't have this podcast. And that's why this podcast is so cool to have, because it's, like, uh, it's an excuse to just uh, sit down with people and talk for two hours and pick their brains. And um, this time I got to sit down with Capital, who is my uh, music theory teacher and my aural skills teacher at USC. Um, and he is an incredible musician and an incredible person. And um, yeah, I've only ever encountered him in, uh, you know, in class when he's teaching. And uh, he's just a very genuine, uh, kind, and just super insightful awesome guy and um i was super nervous for this conversation <laughs> uh, but i was very excited to sit down one-on-one you know just as two guys as opposed to teacher student and um just sort of talk and uh he also shares some really incredible music at the end um some original songs of his and uh it's just really i mean what a what a cool thing that that was you know to see my teacher uh as an artist you know after hearing a little bit about his life and who he is and stuff like that and um you know uh he referred to me as his peer at the end and I was just like so (laughs) very honored and stoked um you know he's just a very positive uh aware and articulate guy and um yeah and uh very idiosyncratic and specific and uh has had a <laughs> very interesting effect um on my friends you know because he has these idiosyncrasies and he has uh 
you know, these specific cadences that he uh, employs. And, uh, you know, sort of subconsciously, everyone will just, <laughs> you know, use his turns of phrase or, uh, you know, the cadence which with he'll say something, you know. Um, and it's because we, we, we hear him speak every day, you know. And, uh, you know, so <laughs> when I'm talking to my friends, all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, my God, I totally just sounded like Capital. And uh, that's just one interesting, you know, <laughs> effect that he's he's also had, you know, incredible positive effects on everyone just because he's super kind and wise and teaches amazing classes. And I totally kiss his ass in this interview. <laughs> but that's because I think the world of him, not because I'm like taking his class and want a good grade or anything. But anyways, uh, what a cool world we live in where things like this can happen. So uh, here's a great conversation I had with... Um, my music theory teacher, Capital. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. Happy sad talking. I don't know anything. I'm just happy and sad and sad. What's going on, man? Man, I just got here. I just taught like eight guitar lessons in a row across town. Yeah. Um, I live kind of far away. Where do you live? Do you know where Duarte is? No. It's like, uh, do you know where the 605 is? Mm-mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll look those up. So why, So first look up um, East. <laughs> and then you can go east and you'll find it you'll find the 605 over there oh cool man and then just go up all the way rocking dead ends at uh the 210 and that's where i am hanging out over there cool man is that where you're from nope where are you from portland oregon <laughs> oh cool yeah have you been up to portland i haven't had a lot of buddies i'm trying to go up there this summer though actually uh my friend lives up there i'm trying to make a road trip Portland is cool. I have like a, uh, you know, kind of like a mixed um, love-hate thing with Portland. Yeah. Um, it's like most people where they grew up. It's like a yeah, bittersweet thing. That's the thing. Because I about grew up Por there. Yeah. Um, like when I grew up in Portland, there was some stuff that was not cool at all about it. Really? Like stuff that would make people who love Portland now freak out and run the other direction. <laughs> For example, it was overrun, it felt like, with skinheads, really? neo-Nazis. A lot of neo I'm from Huntington Beach, California. Lots of neo-Nazis in that town See, as well. See, that's another thing we share. <laughs> um, coming from super effed up places full of neo-Nazis. Portland is not like that right now, of course. Yeah. But um, Portland is, overall, a pretty kind of white town. Yeah. So, you know... They just sort of don't really know. I guess let me let me make it more specific. The neighborhood in Portland that I grew up in, okay, was incredibly white, and like we would have Martin Luther King Day at school. Yeah, and it would be a <laughs> <laughs> sounds I, so absurd. No, I have the same. It would kind be of background. a celebration of the end of racism. Because <laughs> we, we were it. like, we did it. <laughs> Oh, isn't it great that our parents oh. made sure that racism ended so we didn't have to deal with it? And it yeah. was like, 
we were so sheltered and it's just because and then i learned that oregon had this kind of an unsavory history for racial stuff really yeah like you think um, of it as such a progressive like yeah hip i know area but they used to have apparently like a whipping tax oh, for non-whites you know if you lived there oh my Some God. people listening need to look it up on wikipedia and see i might be just remembering this wrong like from when I was on like a little internet rant, like searching for reasons yeah. to like think Portland was beneath <laughs> me, I was like, "Oh, I knew it!" Like, there's a history of racism in Oregon, yeah. and like all the. But anyway, um, yeah. So, and the but the main reason why Portland is kind of a pet peeve place for me is that all of my friends who grew up in Portland, uh, super awesome people, a lot of them like never left and went anyplace else mm. and meanwhile i would be like traveling around the world and like having my mind blown and just being completely transformed as a person and i would come back to portland i'd be like man you got to get out there and do and they would say things like why would i ever leave portland it's the best in the world mm. and i was like oh there's something here about this kind of like smug you know hometown pride and by the way it's not so awesome when there's a bunch of neo-Nazis around, is it? <laughs> um, so anyway, anyone from Portland who's listening to this probably thinks I'm a jerk right now. But um, <laughs> Portland is super beautiful, though. Mm. I mean, Mount Hood. Sheesh. Yeah. I've never made... I've got to make my way up there the at river. some point. <laughs> <laughs> the Willamette River. Is it a good the river? The Columbia River. The Columbia River Gorge. <laughs> Were you like an outdoorsy type of cat at all? Like, um, I kind of am. Like, I think if I had better knees, I would just be running up mountains all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, my knees kind of make it sometimes it hurts on the way down. Yeah. It's not just because I'm an old man. Like when I was little, I had like painful knees when I tried to be in bas- on the basketball team. Yeah. Because I had these kind of like bumps on the front of my knee bones called mm. Osgood Schlatter's disease. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fun. Um, that's a fun name. It's a great not a name. fun disease. I bet. <laughs> I mean, like it didn't feel like a disease, but it felt like a good excuse to like not have to go out and play basketball when I was embarrassed because I only had hair under one armpit. Um, <laughs> I hadn't quite finished that whole process. And hey, one one pit at a time, you know. It made me really bad at basketball, only being able to use that one arm. <laughs> when did you get into uh, music and stuff growing up in Oregon? Uh, I got into music, I guess. Um, my So my mom was a music major when she was young, but then she quit. She played bass, classical yeah. bass. Nice. Um, but then she quit when she got pregnant with me. So it's my fault. <laughs> um, and then uh, she never picked it up again. Mm. I have her bass. Really? Yeah. It's That's like a awesome. beautiful bass. It's like 150 years old. Mm. It's in my living room in Duarte. Nice. Um, but she never picked it up again. So I didn't really grow up in like a musical family. But we had like a piano around. And so I started messing with that when I was a little kid. Mm. I tried to take... I went to Catholic school the first few years. Me too. And I went to I t- took some piano lessons from the nuns. Mm. Didn't like that. Yeah, I didn't. Did like not practice. <laughs> um, yeah, that was like the first time that I quit something. And then when I came back the year later and saw the recital where like the girl who hadn't quit 
was actually playing nice stuff on piano, I sort of regretted that I hadn't stuck with it. <laughs> I so, feel like a lot of music people I talk to have a similar origin story of like taking piano lessons as a kid and hating them and then quitting them and then coming back around. Like, Here's my favorite piano lesson story that everyone always says. <laughs> and I love it because everybody <laughs> says this story as if they're the only one. <laughs> they say this. I didn't like to read, so I would just watch my teacher's hands <laughs> and play by ear. And I could really do it. I had a good ear, so I could pick out the stuff. But I was never reading. I never learned to read. Do you ever get the one where, like, people, like, where you tell people you're a musician, or, like, I tell people I'm a music major, and, like, I get a response like, oh, I took a piano lesson once. <laughs> like, I'm like, what am I supposed to say to that? Like, yeah. oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, nice. Oh, interesting. <laughs> cool. Thanks for killing this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, oh, you know, I'm a basketball player. Oh, that's cool. I, I saw basketball. Yes. I had one. I used to have a basketball as a kid. <laughs> it's just like. I touched a ball one time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, like, what kind of records were you into and, and stuff as a kid? Were, did you have, like, so, an older uh, brother or someone that, like, showed you the cool rock sounds? Or I was the older brother. I have a little sister. Mm. Um, the first song I really loved was the A-Team theme song. Yeah. You know that one? I don't. I yeah. might need you to remind me. It goes... It had Mr. T as B.A. Baracus. You know I know. Who I'm talking about. I only know it from references. That's the first piece I learned to play. Nice. On the piano. On the piano? We the A-Team theme a, song? Uh, we had like a Zen Buddhist live-in Manny guy. What? <laughs> That sounds incredible. And he was good at the piano, and he showed me how to play the A-team. He transcribed it for me. That's sick. I'm sure I was totally unappreciative, <laughs> but uh, that was the first thing of music I learned. Um, Did he teach you guys like meditation and stuff also? No, but I remember one time my sister fell off of like a chair or something in the kitchen and like cut her head on the counter. Mm. And, like, my dad, like, ran up the stairs. Like, we heard all this commotion, and my dad ran up the stairs, and he was like, we're taking Jenny to the hospital. Pray for Jenny. It's my sister. And then uh, and then the dude, the live-in Manny dude, he wasn't really a Manny. He was renting a room in our place, but, like, part of the deal was he would babysit us or something. Yeah. So he just, like, ran up into the other room and was like, Namuyo horenge kyo, namuyo horenge kyo. So I was like, oh man, I wonder if that's, I wonder if he's like calling up the demons right now. (laughs) Trying to lighten his load on the babysitting. So anyway, uh, yeah, I don't remember how we started talking about that. I was asking you about records and then I got I was the older brother, doodly. Yeah, I want to just know how, you know, your, your journey that, you know, that took you out of Portland with music. Yeah. So I got, I mean, I was into like metal and stuff. You know. How'd you get into it? Um, I started playing guitar when I was like 11. Nice. And uh, it was because I was, you know, super like cliche reason to start playing guitar, but because of Marty McFly. Yeah. I was like, That's oh, awesome. that looks cool. <laughs> and so I got a guitar on Hawk, you know, like a $60 guitar made of foam mm. wrapped in lacquer. And I was like, I saved my first ten dollars from allowance, and then I would just like go to the mall and put another five dollars on it every couple weeks, and then finally Christmas came around, and Santa paid off the rest of the twenty bucks for my guitar. Nice. And so, um, 
But playing guitar, you know, I was kind of drawn to guitar-y stuff. Yeah. Like Steve Vai and Eddie Van Halen, and especially like Van Halen. Um, and then uh, in high school, I and so I took a little bit of classical guitar lessons. And yeah. And I formed this band, and we just played like Guns N' Roses songs. Yeah. Um, what, was the, what, was the name of, what was the name of the band? Do you remember? Um, I remember we had a name that we liked, but then, so the other guitar player's dad was like the classical guitar teacher of the town, <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of took it upon himself to become our manager, <laughs> and so he would book us gigs. Yeah. I say the word gigs like in <laughs> italics or something. He would book us gigs. Uh, and he came up with a cool name for us. Yeah. Which was <laughs> Transcendance. <laughs> oh, man. And he was That's explaining epic. to us, he was like, you know, because like you guys, it's transcendent, but it's dance. And we were like, we're playing Guns N' Roses. I don't think anybody's ever danced to this song so um that's amazing that band didn't last oh man <laughs> but uh yeah so I, I just got into metal and stuff you know i was like uh yeah. i had long hair you know i was like listening to metallica like learning like all these you know guitar solos and i'm going to guitar camp and yeah. stuff like that that's awesome it was fun i had lots of good experiences at guitar camp there used to be this one out in, uh, I don't know, maybe it's still there, but called the National Guitar Summer Workshop. Mm. And they were holding it at Scripps College in the Pomona Colleges. Mm. So hey, I know this. You know? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a friend that goes there. Um, Alex Skolnick, the guitar player of Testament, was there. Oh. And so, you know, like we went there and he like told us about playing melodic sequences. Nuts. And then there was a dude named Frank Gambali was there. Yeah. There was several guys there who were really cool to me. And then my favorite was this dude, Adam Levy, who I think I told you about one time. He is Nora Jones' oh, guitar yeah. player. Yeah, you were but telling us about it. he was like, he, I mean, he's the first person who kind of turned me on to, like, you know, deep levels of music. And, like, he was, he, like, played me some Bill Frizzell, which this is sort mm -hmm. of before Bill Frizzell was doing, like, you know, Americana kind of stuff that all sounds pretty inside. He has this album called Where in the World that's like, it's just like cello and guitar and bass and drums. But like, it comes out of the gates with some really intense, yeah. deep and, you know, just like uncomfortable, beautiful sounds. And, uh, and like, he was listening to it and like, total ecstasy and i was and it completely like took me over yeah so that was kind of how i got into um you know s different kinds of sounds mm. and so while i was there at the camp i wrote a, a piece yeah kind of with that with adam that was like i called it the 12 tone corral <laughs> i didn't know what 12 tone music was at that time but it was basically kind of like a you know like a country guitar solo with mm. some weird notes and time signatures in it. Yeah. And so I got into stuff like that. Heck yeah, man. I got really into, later on, when I was in college for a while, into kind of like progressive rock stuff. You yeah. Know. So you David went Bowie. to college, USC, right? For guitar? Yeah, I started out like that. Um, so that was your first like major exodus from Portland? Yeah. It was funny. Um, 
I enjoyed listening to your podcast with Jack. Um, oh, cool. Thanks for listening to it. Yeah. And I talked to Jack a little bit the other day, and we were talking about, you know, just kind of like that, you know, not knowing if what your calling is. So yeah. I remember before I yeah. came to music school, um, I it was obvious to me what my calling was. Mm. It's like I was the music guy, you know. I was yeah. like the music guy in my high school, <laughs> you know. And I like absolutely. Went, and I studied classical guitar, and I took it pretty seriously, you know. Yeah. And I like did, played in competitions. You yeah. Know? I was the Oregon State champion. Heck yeah! I made my first album when I was a senior. And mm. it was like, there was no digital recording at that point, you know, just yeah. made it like in this dude's home studio. We had like an eight track and we just like mm. did it all to tape and stuff. That sounds uh, awesome. And that was really cool. It was called The Trial and Triumph of the Horseman. <laughs> it was pretty... Is that original music? Yeah. That's awesome. What kind of... It's it like neoclassical guitar I stuff? I mean, or? it was like, there was instrumental stuff and some kind yeah. of touchy-feely songs it was mostly songs about this girl I was in love with, you know, and we kind of like were really good friends. Um, yeah. But, uh, and she kind of like liked me too, but, and this is super lame. This is the good stuff, man. But we were like 17 years old and yeah. we were kind of in love, but she was torn because she had this 25 year old boyfriend from England or something. Yeah. And looking back on it, I'm just like, Man, that guy was a, like, what kind of a sicko like dates a sixteen-year-old girl? You know. Yeah. So, but anyway, at the time, I was just like, oh, I guess that makes sense. She's got a twenty-five-year-old boyfriend. <laughs> um, so uh, that's oh man. So I wrote all these songs about that. Yeah. Um, I sang so awfully. Do you have the record anywhere? I do. Is it anywhere else? Well, just I, in your possession? Or? I mean, like it, it was just tapes, you know. So I yeah. made it and I like pressed up like a. I took it to a manufacturing place. It was before you could like get CDs. Easy. Yeah, of course. So I got a hundred tapes and I just like sold them all for eight bucks and broke yeah. even on my recording, you know. But I have nice. a few of the tapes left over. Damn. The singing was super foul. <laughs> When I started singing, everybody was, like, silent at first. I would mm. sing them a song, and they would be silent. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, you're good at guitar. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, even the dude whose home studio I was renting to make the CD, I was like, man, what do you think? What do you think of my singing? <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, oh, you don't want to ask me. Oh, God. My sister's an opera singer. As if, like, somehow that made it not <laughs> super obvious that he was telling me I was really bad. Damn. Um, so I... That's I, important, though, to sing those songs, especially if you wrote them about those I times. I felt, like, when I found singing, I was like, oh, my God, now I'm complete, you know? Yeah. Because I, I had all these feelings, and I had all these ideas and stuff, and I was like, man, this is Songwriting, yeah. But, uh, but I was so bad at singing. I've listened to that recently. Yeah. It's pretty hilariously bad. <laughs> it's oh. pretty hilariously bad. But um, I was glad that I did that. Anyway, I'm like yeah. going off in a million directions because I had Dude, some coffee earlier, absolutely. This is That's the whole point of this. There's no, really no specific direction. I'm just sort of curious about who yeah. you are and like uh, what your background is. And, yeah, well, likewise, know? man. I'm excited we have this chance oh. to kind of like find out about each other. Yeah, dude. I mean, yeah. like... Uh, 
I don't know. I have similar demo tapes to that that I'm sure. Like, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm only a couple years from him, but I can already see like, ooh, well, Christ. I mean, <laughs> you, you have a great voice, man. You're like a great Thank singer. You. When Thanks I was very much. your age, I was making more demo tapes. Mm. They were just as bad as my high school. <laughs> <laughs> like my singing was super yeah. gnarly. I didn't figure out um, kind of how to start singing until I got into Brazilian music many years later. How did that happen? Um, so I, okay, so I'm going to rewind a little bit until, yeah. so I can bring us up to speed. Please do, because I'm so you asked me genuinely I curious. USC. I yeah. went to USC. Okay, so this all came back, and now I remember. I was like, the thing about the calling. The calling. It was my calling to be a musician. It was super obvious. You're a guitar guy. I was like, and I remember saying when I came to USC on one of like the parent you know, bring your parents and tour the campus. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I remember meeting another dude who was going to be a music major, and I said something lame to him like, man, isn't it amazing there's all these people around us who are like undeclared, but we know exactly what we want to do with our lives. We've always known we're musicians. <laughs> and he was like, yeah. And then like uh, <laughs> in my oh, first man. semester as a music major, I was like, I don't want to do this. Really? This is not my calling. <laughs> I miss math. I want to take a philosophy class. Yeah, totally. And so I I was one of the people who stopped being a bachelor of music and changed to a bachelor of arts, you know, because mm. I wanted to kind of do more GEs and uh, non-music classes. Yeah. And then also um and then also I went to my sister's theater group when she was in high school went to London for New Year's Eve. When I was a freshman, my mom and dad wanted me to go with her to kind of like be a chaperone or something. Yeah. So I went and I was like, oh, shit. That was my first time outside of the country. I was like, this is amazing. This is like the most different. I mean, like I hadn't realized who I was Mm -hmm. until I put myself in a totally different setting. Yeah. And I could see how all my assumptions didn't exist for these other like the stuff that felt normal to me when you take all that away you kind of realize all the stuff that you you didn't even know was there in yourself you know just like all all your assumptions what you assume is normal because it's never been challenged but then you spend time in another country and you're like whoa i guess i'm like this yeah i didn't even realize (laughs) that's what i was carrying around yeah so i was so inspired i decided i had to study abroad like immediately Mm. And so I came back and uh, I studied abroad my sophomore year in England. Nice. And so that kind of took me totally out of the possibility of graduating with a music degree, you know, even the BA. Because the place I went in England, you couldn't like transfer a lot of the credits over. Mm -hmm. So, um, and also I was so addicted to studying abroad that I realized I needed to study abroad as a junior too. Yeah. (laughs) So I came up with my own major. Nice. We have a department, you know, called Interdisciplinary Studies Department, where you can create your mm. own major. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and cool. it's kind of like designed if you have if you have like interests that you know are in one or two or three different departments, but don't really fit into a normal kind of major minor thing. Yeah. Then you can create your own major, and so oh, I was like, sick. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll require all these classes I took in England yeah. and all those classes I'll take in Japan next year. Ah. So I was able to study abroad for like practically two years and still graduated in four. Damn. So that That's was cool. Awesome. 
Then I went to UC Berkeley to get a master's degree in ethnomusicology. Yeah. Why am I telling you all this? Because you said, how did you get into Brazilian music? I'm curious, man. I got to Berkeley. I was studying Japanese music. I had learned a bunch of Japanese music when I was in Japan, studying abroad as a junior. Yeah. Um, at Berkeley, at UC Berkeley, there was this woman who was from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Mm. And she would bring in Brazilian music. There were only three of us who got into that program. Yeah. One was doing Slovenian music, Brazilian music, and I was doing Japanese music. And we would like bring stuff to each other that we would kind of analyze and present to each other. Yeah. Man, every time she brought in some Brazilian stuff, I was like, oh. You just knew that was that the stuff? That is like the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Um, what makes it? What made, Do you know why it turned you on so much? Or? I think they I think they figured it out, man. Yeah. It's got like everything <laughs> that I love about good music. I can't say that I even know any Brazilian music. Yeah. I'm embarrassed. Um well it's just like they have an incredible, you know, melodic sense. Like the the melodies just kind of like come out and it's just like so wonderful. So yeah. singable, so natural and interesting all at the same time. Mm. Like melodies that don't sound contrived, melodies that don't sound, you know, like weird, but also don't sound kind of like, you know, nursery rhyme or something. I don't even know how to describe it other than just say they're yeah. really nice melodies. Mm. Um, and everybody can sing along to them. It's yeah. not like they're doing all these crazy melodies that's kind of like an atonal opera or something. Yeah. Uh, so beautiful melodies. And then the harmonies are just like so rich and they sneak them by you and you don't even realize you're like man that was a catchy song and then you look at the music and there was like 50 chords in it <laughs> and they yeah. were and none of them were gratuitous right or like random or angular or something it was just this yeah. journey through you know all these nuanced colors of emotion that wrapped around this like just beautiful compelling melody yeah that sounds incredible oh and then there's the rhythm yeah oh totally you know like the yeah. whole rhythmic thing is very deeply you know african and like all the all the stuff that we love about you know jazz music or r&b music and like the music that we have in north america they have yeah. all of those same roots in brazilian music but yeah. maybe a little bit more of the African side of it. Mm, um, totally. So it's just like, it's so incredible. And then as a guitar player, you know, it's the best kind of you know, music I've ever played for doing like the one man band thing. Because yeah. you play like a bass line mm. and chords and you got all these harmonies and they all like sound so good. So anyway, I just became intoxicated with the sounds and... uh I joined this rock band for a while there. Um, Up in Berkeley? Yeah, and the drummer was really into Brazilian music, and he was nice. learning from this guy in Berkeley called Marco Silva, um, who is kind of like, you know, this incredible pianist, but multi-instrumentalist. Like, he would be like, no, not like that, and he would pick up the drumsticks and, like, really play the drums, yeah. and then he would really play the bass beautifully, melodically, rhythmically, mm. and then he would really play the saxophone, <laughs> and then he would sit down at the piano, and you would realize, oh no, he's a piano player. Yeah, oh, so, like, one of those guys. I studied with him for a while, and we had a Brazilian nice. band. That's yeah. sick. That's awesome. But the main, so I'm leaving out kind of an important episode, though. Yeah. Between, like, being at Berkeley and and do, getting into Brazilian music, um, 
I also sort of got to Berkeley. So I, I was like, remember my story when I said, you know, I went to college thinking my calling was to play music. And then after I was there, I was like, oh, yeah, I, really I was going to ask you where the through line went when you decided to study ethnomusicology, like how that fits into that whole identity search thing for you. Well, so I was like, I love music, you know, I yeah. just didn't really feel like I wanted to only be studying that in school. Were you studying music in Japan? A l- not as a major, but I mm. learned a some instruments over yeah, there totally like japanese instruments mm. and that was a cool experience because the way that you like take lessons in the traditional japanese setting was totally different yeah it wasn't like you would have a you know a wednesday at three lesson with your teacher really yeah the teacher would just and and it you would just pay like you know x amount of dollars per month to be her student and then you could show up on her lesson days and mm. she would just be teaching from noon to 7 p.m., whatever, like on Mondays and Thursdays or whatever. And yeah. you would just show up and you would be with like four other Kotos or Shamisen students or whatever. And then she would do a 20-minute lesson to one person and send them home. And then the next person would come up and she would do an 80-minute lesson and send them home. And then she mm. would call you up and do however long. So you would yeah. watch everybody else kind of like doing their thing and then get a lesson. That's crazy. So that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then... Uh, What's the episode that you said you glossed over? So what I glossed over was... So anyway, I, that, I did that when I was a junior studying abroad in Japan. Yeah. I did my interdisciplinary studies thing, which basically turned into a dissertation about Japanese music and culture. Mm. Okay. And so then I was like, I love this. I love traveling and learning music. I think maybe I should do ethnomusicology. Yeah. And so I applied to UC Berkeley and got into that program. And that felt like a really cool thing where I could do my kind of like travel the world and learn music and learn languages kind of thing. Um, But when I got there to Berkeley, I realized I I didn't really like, you know, the academic side of that. Yeah. You know, it just felt too non-musical, frankly. Mm-hmm. And part of the thing was is that, like the, my interest in ethnomusicology was because I wanted to learn that music. Yeah. But that wasn't the focus of ethnomusicology scholarship. That was like the last thing about it. What, really? Yeah. It was more about you know let's study the people and let's study what this music means to them and let's mm. study all this stuff, which is also like really cool. More like anthropological. More like anthropology, exactly. Mm. And so I would be like, oh, cool, we're going to learn about, you know, gamelan music today. But yeah. I would, but the person would never talk about the notes, even one time. <laughs> it would be about the gender dynamics of the puppet theater, <laughs> which I'm just not quite intellectual enough to, like, you know, get stoked about that. Like, I just wanted to, like, yeah. check out the music. So um, luckily, while I was there, and I had my Japanese powers... I had a job for a while t- uh, translating yeah. video games from Japanese really? to English Whoa. at this consulting that company. crazy. And there was a dude upstairs who was a graphic design dude, but also a bilingual Japanese rapper. <laughs> and, he, and he came down man. one day and he was like, hey, man, I heard you play guitar. Um, do you want to play on this song, on this EP I made? It's called Pearl Harbor. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of and course I was like, 
right on because it was he was his, uh, you know he was an underground MC making a sneak attack on the on the record industry. Oh my was god! The metaphor. Yes. So um, I started playing on that. Nice. That was, and then you know, like I started touring Japan with him, and I oh really, and I got really busy my second year of my master's degree. We were making this album, and uh, I was just kind of like prioritizing that instead of school. And uh, and I realized I didn't want to continue and get a PhD in ethnomusicology. I just wanted to go and be on tour. Yeah, with what was the that? rapper dude? What was his name? Shingo Two. Shingo Two. Shingo Two. So yeah, we made this album um, called Ryokuo Shokujinshu. <laughs> what does that mean? Which means uh, green. It means green <laughs> yellow. Uh, it means green yellow race. <laughs> and it's a play on words with with Chinese yeah. characters. So they have the Ryokuo Shokuyasai is mm. yellow green vegetables. And it's like a classification of vegetables. Like we would say eat your greens. Yeah. You know, like there's a certain kind of vegetable called yellow green vegetables. Okay. And then Oshoku Jinshu, which means like yellow race is like the technical term in Chinese characters for Asians. Okay. Okay. So the play on words was like, you know, a new race of people like of healthy, of healthy right. vegetables or something. <laughs> like a healthy race of people or something. Vegetable people. The, <laughs> the vegetable people. Uh, so we made that album and we made it on... I had an Audio Media 3 card, which was in a, like an old Mac power PC and, and two gigs of hard drive space. Man. And I had Pro Tools 4.2 is what I started Woo. using Pro Tools on. But uh, we made that album with a program that doesn't exist anymore called Opcode Studio Vision. Mm. And like you couldn't put plugins on it in real time you had to print all of your effects one at a time really so we'd be like oh we should put some delay on the vocals and you like print them on and you're stuck with those forever really and oh like, my oh, god let's put some reverb on <laughs> and you just like you just every time you burn over what you did yeah and so that was a cool thing though like we spent some time making that we made it mm. in my bedroom we uh it turned into a double cd quadruple vinyl Whoa. We sold like 60,000 copies of it. Shit. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Was it frustrating, like, recording in the early days of digital? Like, uh, Well, I didn't really know what the fuck I was doing. So yeah. I, like, it wasn't very frustrating for me. Because you were just like, these are the tools available. Yeah. Like, I didn't really understand about gain structure and stuff. And I'm sure I, I was, like, clipping yeah. a lot. And, like... <laughs> I hope that nobody who is a real mastering engineer ever listens to that and yeah. like tries to, you know, tie it to my abilities as like a sound <laughs> person now. But it was a really cool experience to like make Fuck a yeah. double album from yeah. scratch, you know, just like in my room. That's so sick. Um and it was great to like go to Japan and like open up magazines and see that it was like picked as one of like the coolest records of the year, you know. Yeah. yeah. And you made it in your room? Yeah. Shit, dude. That's yeah. awesome. It was good. It was Gorilla, man. Yeah. It was Gorilla. What were the shows like in Japan? They were great. We played huge festivals, you know? Yeah. Like, it was like the Foo Fighters, the Chemical Brothers, and us, you know? Whoa! And, like, and then That's we crazy. played on, you know, we played on Space Shower TV, which was like Japanese's MTV kind of thing. And yeah. We played really big venues in Tokyo and toured around a lot. It was cool. It was cool. That's sick. 
Um, I enjoyed that for a while. Yeah. The uh, the DJ in that band mm. kind of had a falling out with Shingo. And I was kind of closer friends with the DJ. Yeah. And so I kind of like, you know, also joined in the falling out with Shingo <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. You know. Touring with people, it, I the, can imagine. It, like that, that whole aspect of music making, the relationship side of it is kind of like, can be pretty disappointing. Yeah. I feel you. I feel like that's part of the unwritten curriculum here is just like people management skills you know yeah like, i think that's good for you guys you guys yeah. you guys have an amazing community it's yeah. really cool man yeah. i mean i'm living with roommates right now which is like uh with music majors which is like a little too much community sometimes you mm -hmm. know like last year i had um just a like pre-med you know uh major roommate and it was like a nice separation of church and state because nice. i would come home and he would just be like watching the dodger game and i could just disengage and get perspective and realize that it's not like music isn't the only thing that exists in the world yeah. you know but um yeah anyways that's a whole different story great guys but just uh i don't know sometimes it's like too much music and there's too much overlap or something but um the community is awesome is it yeah. kind of like <laughs> shitting where you eat uh no it's just like um Oh man, I totally derailed you on a sweet <laughs> Japan adventure. No, like whatever. I want to learn more about you too. So, <laughs> well, I want to get back to that because I want to know like how that was fitting into your identity thing at that time. But like uh, roommate stuff is just, I, like it was just a very last minute decision. Um, and they're super great guys, and they're like all my best buds. You know? Can I turn my headphones down? Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay, cool. Thank is that, you. Yeah, do whatever you need to do. Okay. And make sure it's still recording. Lord. Um yeah, it's just like um like a best friend and good roommate are just like two very separate things. Mm. And I didn't realize until this year that I was like very much an introvert, you know? And like I'm very gregarious and I like people and I like mm. talking, but only when I can like balance that with enough like time to decompress and disengage and stuff. Yeah. And so having like someone in my actual bedroom and then people in my actual apartment like so when then there's there are those times where I need to be alone and I don't have necessarily a space to do that, mm -hmm. I'll just get very resentful and quiet <laughs> and dark. And um, these are a few of my favorite things: <laughs> resentful and quiet and dark and blood. Um, and it's just a lifestyle thing. Like they're all it. It's um, I'm just kind of like kind of a square you know i'm kind of lame you know like i'll go to bed at nine sometimes and mm. i'm like very uh i i use the term ocd but i'm not actually ocd because like real people with ocd like i have to turn the lights off 17 times or else my sister will die you know mm -hmm. i'm just more like i really like you know having all the dishes done and like stuff mm. picked up mm. wow um, that sounds rough <laughs> with roommates you know it's getting better and like uh at the end of the day, it's like a communication thing. And like, I have to expect them to accommodate me as much as I accommodate them, you know? Mm. And it's like, a lot of it is me like, um, cause I don't know. Cause to some degree I have a right to like have my living space the way I want it, you know? Mm -hmm. But to, I also can't be a control freak, you mm -hmm. know? So there's a lot of like exercises going on there, but like, um, is it like, uh, is it, are you getting a good deal? I mean, is that one of the pros? Like you, like the money situation makes it good. Yeah, and stuff? it's good. So. And it's right on campus and they're all my buds and like, yeah. um, I, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, this, I talk about this way too much with people, but, um, 
it's a good situation. But I'm living alone next year because I realized that, like, I don't know. I think that would be m- maybe more my jam. Um, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're all great guys. It's just uh, I don't know. We kind of have different habits, and I think the difference in lifestyle creates some friction sometimes. Yeah, uh, I've experienced friction in the difference in lifestyle. When I was a freshman at USC, I lived in Floor Tower. Yeah. And, uh, like, all my roommates were friends with each other. Because you're, like, in this, you know, like, you know, there's, like, four rooms, and there's eight of you in there. And you got... They were all friends with each other, and none of them were friends with me. And, like, I had oral skills at eight in the morning. Yeah. And And they would just be, like showing each other karate moves and playing video <laughs> games until like five in the morning yeah like kind of like in my room <laughs> and i wasn't uh you know i was probably kind of there was a few times i kind of blew up on them but uh yeah. for the most part i just didn't really maybe i was too much of like a wimp about it or maybe i just kind of like was rationalizing like that they were doing their thing and whatever. I don't know, but I kind of put up with it a little bit too much. Mm. I did have my own passive aggressive way, which was to like sleep with earplugs in and then (laughs) have my alarm clock be just like, (laughs) and justice for all turned up really loud. And so it would start playing. And I wouldn't hear it for like the first 10 minutes because I had earplugs in. Yeah. So I would wake up, you know, like playing really loud Metallica every morning. Pretty stupid of me, man, to be so passive aggressive. But you, so when I look at you guys, you know, you guys all seem like you have your stuff way more together than I did like emotionally but maybe it's because like I only see you (laughs) in class and nobody's like having a breakdown in there but when I was in England that year I told you about my sophomore year Mm. um I wrote this journal every single day yeah for a year that's when you turned 20 yeah that was one of the things but I wrote this diary every single day where I basically I wrote in there what I was wearing and who I hung out with and everything that I read and all the letters I wrote. I was writing tons of letters. It was really yeah, cool that experience. Sounds awesome. And if you're talking about like living alone, the college experience in England, it's very self-directed. Like yeah. you have your own room. You, if you're a music major, that means you have one class. It's called music. <laughs> <laughs> and you go to it once a week for like four hours. Yeah. And like, you know, a composer comes in and kind of teaches you about history and composition and like, you know, all this other stuff kind of combined in one class. Cool. And then you have the whole rest of the week. Damn. To be kind of by So I wrote like probably like a thousand letters to all my friends. You yeah. Know? And and because I was writing so many letters, I was getting a bunch back. Mm. So, like, every single day I got, like, five letters. That's sick. You know, and I would yeah. just read these letters and write these letters. And I, was I like, learned Tai Chi. And I was, <laughs> like, doing Tai Chi. Yeah. And I tuned my guitar all in fifths from a low <laughs> F to a high E. And I, like, learned all these new scales. And I was, like, you know, doing all these, new, like... Uh, you know, polymetric, polyrhythmic coordination exercises. <laughs> I just like had this kind of monastic thing going on. Yeah. I was sleeping incredible. on the floor, you know, I had a lot yeah. of incense. <laughs> <laughs> I was making myself a lot of curry. Yeah. Um, I don't know what about 
that experience, that monastic type lifestyle that's so appealing to me. And I feel like at some point in my life, I need to have a chapter like that where I'm just alone in a cabin, you know. You need to <laughs> do something like that. A stack of books or something. I also, however, had many nice friends there. But reading my diary, which I did again recently, like for mm. the first time in a long time, I it was hilarious what kind of emotional roller coaster I was on. Yeah. Like every single day, man, it would be like, you know, blah, blah, blah. I guess I, uh, I guess I'm just destined to be alone my whole life. Oh, you know, and then I, I'm never going to be able to face them again. And then the very next day it'd be like, had a great day hanging out (laughs) with the gang today. And then like the next day it would be like, you know, so and so is in love with so and so, and blah da doo Lee. Yeah, and it, it broke. Uh, I think that we we ruined everything. And then the next day it would be like, so I was hanging out with so uh, and, but basically I'm changing the names to so and so to protect the, the innocent. innocent. But uh, I was just like the stuff that I was saying at the end of every day w- was nothing like what happened the next day. Pretty yeah. much every single time. Yeah, and I was like, Jesus, man, I was like going all over the place with my emotions yeah Uh, is that what it's like for you guys yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say like um i have this friend who i won't name but um so and so so and so yeah so and so Mm -hmm. jones um who posted this really long facebook status the other day who was just kind of like detailing how he was doing and he's he's doing pretty poorly yikes and uh it was a really long Facebook status, and it's this guy who seems really happy all the time mm-hmm. and is very, like, positive and totally, like, just from a distance, like, totally has his shit together mm-hmm. and then decided to share what was actually going on. And it was really interesting for a lot of reasons. One, because it was, like, anytime people post – I mean, I do this podcast, which gets over-emotional sometimes, <laughs> and so I, def- I kind of do the same thing. But anytime I see anything like that on Facebook, I'm always, like – my first response is always, like, whoa, that's a little too much, you know? But then – the second reaction is like, I feel a little bit more normal, you know, because uh-huh. here's like a genuine piece of humanity that's being expressed out there. And just like, I don't know, the things that I've been chewing on lately, sort of emotionally, is just the like, and my friends will know, I just overuse this metaphor, but just like, you know, the sine wave mm-hmm. and then just, you know, mm-hmm. oscillating between positive and negative one and like, I guess it, what was interesting about that Facebook status for me was like, perspective like you never really know how somebody's doing Mm. you know (laughs) um which is interesting because i i definitely like project a lot on other people and assume like oh and compare myself in that way but based on perspectives you know and um like jack is such an incredible guy you know Mm -hmm. and i often like will compare myself to my idealized version of him Mm -hmm. you know and to use that to make myself feel bad about myself, you know, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm not being realistic, you know, I'm not factoring in his own insecurities and his own, you know, ups and downs, but right. that sign graph thing, man, is just like, you know, just being a, I don't know, tuned in to some degree, you know, I'm not, not to sound pretentious. Like I just, I'm just so aware all the time, you know, but, uh, I think being a creative person and existing in a creative community, like, you definitely feel high highs and low lows, you know, mm. and every time that there's a low low, I forget how low it was, you know, and I'm mm. like scraping the bottom of the graph, mm. just like, fuck, it goes this low, you know, and then, and I take some accountability for it. Like, man, I fucked up. Like, that's why this graph is going down right now. 
and I forget that, that it just goes up and down regardless of what I do. And then when it comes up, I'm like, this is amazing. And I cling to it so hard, you know? And, uh, I think there are some things that I can do to sort of like regulate it. Like, okay, if I eat really well or try to exercise or meditate or something mm-hmm. or like, you know, hike or some shit, you know, that I can somewhat, you know, regulate that stuff. But I mean, definitely. And from what I experienced from my peers as well, that it's just like a little bit of surrendering to the ups and downs and whatnot, <laughs> you know? Well, once again, man, you sound like you're way ahead of the game, you know, like, uh, cause you, uh, you know, you're aware of that stuff. Like I was totally unaware of my emotional roller coaster. Mm. I was totally oblivious to that. I don't know. I don't have any good advice for you, but I do know that like <laughs> that's right. I, that's... When you get into like your late twenties, <laughs> you know, especially your late twenties, mm. um, you have more. Uh, I think like you know, kind of psychic stability usually, just because yeah that that turns into a time I feel like of of a lot of like life confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know. Better days are ahead, man. <laughs> Yeah, no, th- yeah. Anyways, I didn't mean to just turn you into my therapist real quick. Yeah, but. I wish I was a good therapist, <laughs> though. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not a good example, especially right now, because I feel out of balance, as I was telling you. Yeah, no worries, man. That's the thing, just trying to find some sense of balance. But um, I mean, basically, I feel my best when I feel like I'm being true to myself, you yeah. know? Sometimes we don't even know who ourselves are, and we've got like that thing. But but uh, I kind of feel like I do sort of know who I am. Yeah. And it makes it worse when my actions, you know, f- feel like they're kind of like running away from that or like I've set yeah. up like a structure around me that makes it impossible for me to be who I am. Or, yeah. Because I really feel like I'm betraying myself or, yeah. you know, and that makes me feel really depressed. Yeah. Yeah. I find that too whenever I try to act towards like who I think I should be rather than who I actually am, you know, mm-hmm. that it just, it does nothing but create friction, you know, and things like that. I, well, I, who do you think you should be? Uh, who I think I'm, I should be. Other like... than Jack. <laughs> <laughs> That's the short answer. Uh, the That's lo- hilarious, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's just me. Um, I don't know. That's just my ego shit, but, um, I don't know, just think I should just be, like, cool, confident guy that, like, is smooth-talking and just, like, dresses awesome. and. Well, you seem like that cool. to me. <laughs> Thanks, man. But yeah. I don't know. I guess, like, uh, like I rushed a fraternity last uh, uh-huh. year, you know, and that was, like, a big identity search thing for me. Yes. You know? Did they reject you, man? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, it was, yeah. like... Uh, I was accepted, you know? It yeah. was cool. Um, oh, are you in it right now? No, 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 no. Okay. But I, like, I had a lot of people telling me that if I didn't do it, because I, I, I grew up I grew up in that kind of family. Like, my father was in the Greek system. Right. Um, but, you know, in the 70s in, yeah. you know, New Hampshire, very different environment than, yeah. like, you know, 2010s, yeah. Southern California, Greek system. Baseball caps on backwards. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I had, like, my sisters were all into that shit and just mm-hmm. like, if you don't do it, you're going to have no life. And so I, like, had that coming on. And then I was hanging out with music majors that were smoking cigarettes and just being like, the Greek system is bullshit and everyone yeah. in it is the worst. And so I was just like, oh, I don't really know. And then my sister's boyfriend at the time, like, 
thought he was doing me a, he was just like a douchebag who would like you know he was like hey man i hooked you up and i got you a bit at this fraternity and i was mm-hmm. like you know freshman music major mm-hmm. like at home every night doing my oral skills and theory homework and just like oh that's okay like i i really i don't think i'm gonna do that maybe maybe some other time and he was like no like my guys my friend shelly's coming to pick you up right now you know and I was <laughs> like, oh and then i was like trying to be polite so i like asked my friend to come with me and i went uh to this thing and like in high school i had these like kind of two different groups of friends Mm -hmm. and i had like my like friends from choir and improv and theater and all that you know very creative people but i also had this other group of friends that they were all kind of like lacrosse playing guys and Mm -hmm. like they were also creative and cool and into super cool music but um just like a you know not super crazy emotional people you know and there was a stability there and every Mm -hmm. time i hung out with them it was like i don't know i liked kind of being able to bounce between the two groups you know it's cool and um you were popular. Uh, no, not necessarily. But like, I, I, uh, I just had like, a, a, I, I kind of flirted in different circles, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I liked the idea of that in college of having like some other community, you know. Uh, and so I was like, oh, maybe it will be a fraternity. Maybe it will you be know? a fraternity. And then yeah. what happened? <laughs> it just, uh, I just tried it out, and. Um, I was hanging out with this guy at the time who was like uh, another guy who I thought I should be, you know, mm-hmm. just like, you know, smoke cigarettes and dress super cool and talk to all the girls and stuff like that. And I was just like, man, this guy's, and he was so good at music. And I was just like, man, this guy's just like a better version of me, you know? And he was super into it and I wanted to be his friend. And I was like, okay, let's do it. You know? And the guy, because we were two music guys, like the frat was, it was like a weightlifting fraternity. Like that mm-hmm. was what they were known for. And they were, and we were just like, you know, in our skinny jeans and <laughs> little cowboy boot things. And <laughs> just to- hilariously out of place. Yeah. You know? But like, they enjoyed that. They were like, look at these guys. They don't belong oh, here. Oh, it's like, the flight of the Concord. Yeah. <laughs> just let these guys in. Yeah. Um. But I just spent the whole week like doing bitch work and like buying people cigarettes and like, nice know, one. And lifting heavy stuff around and painting and like hanging out with guys that i didn't really fit in with you know Mm -hmm. but i was trying to convince myself that i fit in with and uh just really not having a good time and like not getting any work or my homework done or music stuff done and like i was getting so behind and then at the end of the first week of rushing like i was like they're like all right you get to go to a party like here's what you guys get is your little reward and like i went to the party and like the music was just super loud and like it wasn't really music that I was like into. So it wasn't like, oh, it's loud, but it's great music. It was like just like super loud. I, I like dance music. I like some dance music. There's mm-hmm. just some like random dance music. I noticed you couldn't really talk to anybody. And like uh, so I was like, OK, and everyone I don't know. I'm not really just a like a big fan of like hard alcohol. And so it was just like a lot of people just like, like taking lots of shots and like not talking. And so that there was, was just a kind of creepy vibe about that to me. And, um, I don't know. Yeah. It was just like a lot of not conversations happening and like, I mean, that sounds like a nightmare to me, man. Like, I don't like, I don't like being in a place where it's just like really (laughs) fucking loud and like, everybody's totally drunk and I'm too sensitive for that, (laughs) man. (laughs) That's what I found. And so it was basically just like, you know, people just like picking off girls that they weren't talking to and going off and whatever, like, and. I don't know, like, I, I technically had a good time at the party, like, I did all the things you were supposed to do, but I just remember walking home and just feeling, like, very empty and so exhausted and just being like, man, like, the hell am I doing, <laughs> you know? So you ended up, like, 
Hey, I just turning down or just day. stopped going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's like a powerful experience, man. It was, you know. I think it's important to be able to quit stuff sometimes. Yeah. Like, um, I have this thing, you know, that that uh, like basically, like you're a music major right now. Yeah. You guys are are in like a really special place, and you're all like really good. And uh, we're Thanks, in man. L.A., you know, and and like if if anybody is going to graduate a class of people who 100 percent of them end up being professional musicians, it's like here, like right now in mm. this in this time, you know, like the way that the business is right now. So um, I have total faith in everybody. But I will say this. Most music majors around the world don't grow up to be professional musicians, mm. you know. Like even at famous schools, yeah, yeah, and it's not because they weren't good enough. It's usually because you get out there in the world, and uh, you know, like at some point you need to pick up a day job for some extra cash, yeah, and uh, you'll and then your friends just kind of drop off out of music because they stay at those jobs. Yeah, in my experience, I've done that many times, and every time when. Uh, when I, as soon as I was able to, I had to burn those bridges and get back into music. Yeah. You know? But there's a lot of, um, it's very easy to get into one of those jobs and into one of those kind of communities, and it's kind of hard to pull yourself out of it. And every time you do get a day job and you're hanging out in an office, there are other people there who are ex-musicians and ex-painters yeah. and yeah. ex-whatevers. <laughs> uh, and they're always kind of like, you know, it warms their heart to see a new person quitting music to come get a desk job. Because right, it validates them. Validates them, and they encourage you and tell you how what you're doing is right. And they'll tell you how, yeah, I used to, you know, I went to art school. But, you know, now that I'm married and I a kid and I got this and that, and I just realized this mm. is the right thing to do. And it's, you know, it's good. I'm good with it. It feels right. Yeah. And, like, you just, like, you can get stuck in the quicksand of that mindset. Yeah. Um, but you got to pull yourself out, man. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to say, guess what? I quit sometimes. Fuck yeah. The yeah. last one I had, I was telling Jack about this the other day. Luckily, the Lord intervened. Yeah. And sent an angel to my dreams. Ladyhawk? No, a different angel. I called him the pimp angel because he yeah. had like this <laughs> slick white suit on. But an angel appeared to me in my dream once. Yeah. And I knew it was an angel. I knew I was dreaming. And this angel said to me in so many words, uh, you got to quit your job and you got to get a Fender Deluxe Reverb. Damn. Those were the two <laughs> messages from the angel. And did you follow the instructions? I woke up with such incredible conviction yeah, because I knew it had been a dream, and I knew it was an angel in the dream. It wasn't like I woke up and was like, "Oh, it was just a dream." Yeah. It's like I already knew I was dreaming. It was, it was like a Lord. lucid dream. Yeah, and this character came and visited me, and I instantly knew it was an angel. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, <laughs> "If I don't quit my job today, then like I'm the worst piece of shit in the universe." <laughs> like to get that clear of a message. Yeah. So I went in and I quit my job. What was the job? I was uh I was like the 
recruiter and trainer for teachers for the Princeton Review, Berkeley, <laughs> <laughs> for uh, SAT training, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I quit my job that day, and I went and I got a burrito, and I saw this dude there that I knew worked at Guitar Center. You say, hey, you I got was any like, fender? you guys got any deluxe reverbs? <laughs> and he was like, man, now that you mention it, uh, we just got one in, a used oh! one. It's in perfect condition, you know. Oh, shit. Ha- we haven't, it hasn't passed like the police clearance or what you like when they get used yeah. gear, they have to wait a month or whatever. And he's like, but you can come check it out and uh, I'll I'll give it to you really cheap, like 450 or something. Damn. That's so cool. uh, that's the amp I still use today. Yeah. Yeah. That's a yeah. sick story, man. It's good. It was good. Can you just like really quickly, like if even if you don't want to, that's cool. But just from so you're in Japan, and you side with the DJ. Yeah, I'm just curious about like your musical journey. You know. Okay, so that meant that 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 gig kind of fizzled. Yeah. The bass player in that band and and me like um, made kind of a rock band then. Yeah, that was called Colonel Knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> and we, uh, and so then, uh, and we formed because like a tran- power trio. Transcend Dance was already taken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we formed a power trio with the drummer who was into Brazilian music. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, and then we did kind of our thing. That band, that band suffered from having like nobody who was really the front man it mm. was like we were like oh let's just be democratic because we all sing so you know you can be the lead singer on this song and i'll be the lead singer on that song and yeah. i'll be very common but uh i think it would have been way better if we just picked a lead singer it could have been any of us yeah but it would have been much better but anyway that band also kind of fizzled i won't go into too much detail i'll just say that uh you know, it's just like weird, man. You spend like three years working on something and then one of the people in it is obviously not motivated anymore mm. and it can kind of totally ruin it. And we all resented each other and, you know, um, yeah. so that band kind of fizzled. Yeah. But the drummer who was doing all the Brazilian stuff, I started doing lots of Brazilian stuff with him. Yeah. And... um what was the line I was supposed to draw? What was the destination? Just where you are now. Oh, okay. So then I started doing all that Brazilian stuff with him. I started getting into a lot of pl- performing world music stuff. Yeah. I joined a band there called Kotoja, which mm. is a great Afrobeat band. Yeah. The bass player, leader of the band, was in King Sunny Ade's band, which is like, you know, one of the great um, Afrobeat kind of legends. And, uh, so that was really cool. We got to play, and we had a great horn section, you know, members of Santana's yeah. band. And oh, like, nice. It was just like a killing band, so I loved doing that. I also played in Berkeley. There was this uh, um, club created by these Chilean exiles from the Pinochet, you know, like dictatorship. Yeah. And it was this club called La Peña, and so there were all these dudes who were like, Chilean exiles and playing like political folkloric music Mm. Um, and so I started kind of like playing with some of those guys and I was just kind of like doing the world music guitar performer kind of thing Um, I had a relationship for a couple years with a girl whose dad was actually in one of those bands like a Mm. Chilean guy yeah Um, and then uh, I don't know things were cool that was a time where I felt like I was very in balance yeah. Um, like I would wake up every day and the sun would be pouring in through my 
like you know like the window and i would just be so happy yeah <laughs> and then i would like spend hours playing brazilian guitar music you know like in the garage at night in my apartment built just basically everything was cool like my system was nice my yeah. like rent was good my friends were cool everything was cool i was playing lots of music but nice. that is not something that's going to last for me mm. at a certain point i feel like i need to start from scratch again yeah. You know, like someone who has it all <laughs> and throws it away <laughs> to build it back again. Only to be revisited by the pimp angel. And it didn't uh, it didn't hurt that I got dumped by my girlfriend. Oh. Yeah. Uh, we were supposed to, it was like my birthday or something. And she oh. like called me. She was not nice about it. She was like, um, yeah, I just wanted to. Uh, so I'm about to go out with some of my friends. Just want to let you know that I'm just uh, I don't want to be in a relationship anymore. And I was like, oh, oh. are you breaking up with me? And she was like, uh, yeah, uh huh. Oh. Like, <laughs> Three like, years. Uh, like a couple years. Damn. It wasn't an awesome relationship, though. Like yeah. there were many signs all along the way that. Basically, you know, I'm very glad that we weren't together anymore. Yeah, still, but that stuff's still It hard. was good because I was like, okay, I just got dumped. Like, I got, right. you know, I, like, freedom. the sky's the limit. Yeah. What am I going to do? <laughs> I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, like, move out and, and move to Japan. Where were you living at that time when everything was In Berkeley. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I was just like, okay, start over. And I uh, and I moved to Japan. Then mm. it took. I, really? I spent. So I had like my friend DJ Nozawa, the guy I was telling you about. Yeah. So he um, he had given me basically like an open invitation to stay at his place anytime mm. because he lived in this part of Japan that was like an eyeglasses factory mecca. <laughs> and so, like, his family what? had this old eyeglasses factory that he had converted into a studio. But there was just all this extra space, including a yeah. couch for me. Oh, that's So sick. I could just kind of go there whenever I wanted to and take a box of chocolates, you know. And that was, like, nice. was my rent. Um, and so I spent that next year, right after I got dumped. And I just moved out of my apartment. Um, so I would, ju I would just go over there for three months because that was the visa that you could as a tourist yeah and i went over there literally for three months came back for like a few weeks and went back for three months came back for a few weeks and i really? did that for like a year and while i was there i was Damn. trying to figure out how i could move there and i went to immigration and i was like you know hello uh, <laughs> i am a musician i teach music and compose and like to make albums and things uh i want to do that here you got a like what kind of visa do i need to get and they said well uh, you can get an artist visa for up to three years, but technically that's not permission to perform. You can also get a performer's visa, but technically, you know, you're not supposed to make albums. And that performer's visa is only three months. So basically, if I were you, you know, I'd either get married or um, just just be an English teacher and do your music stuff on the side. Which mm. was really cool that the guy at immigration, the Japanese guy at immigration like in Tokyo, like just gave me that. So I was like, okay, well, I'm not just going to get married. Um, <laughs> so I went and started teaching English mm. and like working on my music career. Yeah. While I was there, I would just burn like 20 CDs of me singing Brazilian music. 
and just take them around places and sit in wherever I could and stuff. I was yeah. in the countryside at first. But one day I got a call from the radio station there in the countryside. And it was just like this guy, hi, hello, I'm DJ Ho- Ken Hori from, you know, FM Fukui, which is the <laughs> town I was living in. FM Fukui. And he was like, yeah, somebody gave me your CD, you know, I would love to interview you and have you come in. And so I went in and played some songs and did like an interview with them. Yeah. And then... uh and then he and then we went out for drinks and i was like man i love radio <laughs> always wanted to work on radio if you ever need anything let me know yeah. so then he called me again in a couple of weeks he was like there's a program we might be able to use your help on mm. and so i went there and it was and he handed me a script and it was a program that i was the star of I was like, oh, yeah, I think I could help with this. <laughs> if you need my help on this, someone to be me. And I suppose. Uh, um, and so I had that show for five years. Really? Yeah. And you lived in Japan for five years and did Well, radio? actually, I had it even after I moved back to L.A. Damn. So I had a radio show. It was on commercial radio sponsored, you know, on FM yeah? radio. And you in Japanese? In Japanese. That's crazy. I did it for a, like about six months while I was there in Fukui. And then yeah. I quit my English teaching thing and just moved. To, as soon as I got my visa, I moved to Tokyo and I just like got an apartment and I just like started meeting people and yeah. going, you know, like it took me a few months to build it up. But eventually I was playing, you know, 25 to 30 nights of a month you know like Damn. playing brazilian stuff all yeah. over town and uh and doing the radio thing too i would go down once a month and record all the radio shows damn and then after i moved back to la i for two more years i did the radio shows over here and just sent them over what brought you back to america so uh i ended up getting married and yeah. my wife was like she's japanese she is a flutist she was playing brazilian music too yeah. Um, Did you guys and, meet in Japan? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Through music, you know. Um, through like the whole Japanese Brazilian music community. I'm sure mm. you've heard of it. <laughs> it's really prominent. <laughs> uh, and then, but she, it was her idea. She was like, yeah, yeah I want to, I want to move to America and learn English and stuff. And so I, I was like, okay, well. You know, I got my master's degree all those years ago, and I kind of quit being a music major before I learned all the cool stuff. Like, I, in my mind, I had unfinished business with my yeah. musical knowledge. So I thought, well, why don't I go back to USC and get a doctorate mm. in music, you know, and kind of like round out my degree thing uh, and learn all the stuff that I never learned before. And so uh, that's how we ended up in L.A. Rocking, man. Yeah, that's kind of like how I'm here. So the interesting thing and why I say to you I'm out of balance yeah. is that, uh, you know, like in my experience being a musician, like when I was working with Shingo, we put out that one album. It like had a huge amount of buzz. We went to Japan. We were like, you know, like the most requested band to play at the Fuji Rock Festival. And like the second most was Bjork or something. You know what I mean? Like Whoa. it was, we were like kind of hot as yeah. the indie thing at that point. That's fucking sick. And then there was kind of momentum. Like we were getting asked to make tracks for all these compilations from like, you know, semi-major labels and work with these people. Yeah. And, uh, and that was cool for a few months. And I was like, oh, great. This is how it's going to be. I'm just like for the rest of my life, just all this awesome professional music work. But then, like, a few months would come in where none of that was happening, mm. you know? So I kind of realized that uh, 
you as a professional musician you have like a lot of different income streams you know and like maybe for a few months in a row a big piece of the pie is going to be like doing tracks for compilations yeah like maybe there's like a couple times a year you get a big royalty check maybe there's a few times a year where you get like some studio singing thing because i used to do that a lot when i was in tokyo like yeah i did even though i'm a guitar player way more than i'm a singer and it's a good thing they never heard that high school tape of mine <laughs> but i used to get you know 600 to a thousand bucks to go sing like like a orange juice commercial or whatever when i was there that's sick and i would do that a couple times a month that yeah, didn't hurt that's a great case. shampoo commercials um so anyway i just like you know you've got all these different types of income streams whether it's like studio work or royalty check or like a cd thing or like playing a gig yeah or teaching you know yeah and so what i realized was is the the uh the pie ratios the ratios of the pie slices are going to be changing yeah. all the time yeah like i might go through a month where i all my money comes from teaching and then another month where none of it comes from teaching yeah and i just wanted to have like it be flexible so that i could like go between all the different thi different things yeah and follow what you you're without having to get more day jobs that the angel would have to appear and tell me to stop <laughs> doing yeah so, so uh anyway um I like my pie yeah. to have at least as much performing as it has teaching, mm -hmm. okay? And that's kind of how it's been, like, most of my life. And when I was in Japan, it was, like, all performing yeah. and studio stuff. Totally. Um, I love to teach, and I started teaching guitar when I was, like, 15, you know, and it's, like, that's a really big part of my life, and I put a lot of creative energy into that, and it feels great to like be a part of like the sacred chain of musical knowledge you know yeah. like i really revere my teachers and all the stuff i learned from them and so yeah. when i'm teaching music like it feels like it's something really really special mm -hmm. and i love seeing results in people that i'm working with but i don't like it when my music pie is like 80 percent teaching yeah which is what it's like right now mm -hmm. so anyway um it has a lot to do with the place that i'm at you know, just in terms of having been here for just a few semesters, mm -hmm. so I'm putting a lot of work outside of the hours in class to like getting the whole curriculum together and stuff, totally. all this stuff. I wanted to ask you about that yeah. because it's like, in it's an interesting task, I assume, because it's like, I don't know, making a popular music, uh, oral skill theory and oral skills, like curriculums, like yeah. to what degree did like you design the curriculum? to a hundred percent degree really yeah like, so what's your what was your thought i mean it's because it seems like very well designed to me and thanks, like, man. I, I dig the curriculum a lot but like what was you when you were approaching it you were like well right, what do i do all of music <laughs> like i mean like so i taught theory at mi yeah musicians institute in hollywood and they had a curriculum mm -hmm. and it was a mix between old school kind of classical stuff and four-part writing and yeah. then some elements of like the Berkeley jazz theory method. Mm. But we taught them as two different things. It would be like, okay, the last 35 minutes we were using this system. For the next 15 minutes, we're going to change everything and use a different system. And mm. for me, that was like bullshit because the whole point about music theory is that it is not just an abstract, you know, system. It's just, it's yeah. a way of organizing 
sounds you know cataloging sounds you know yeah like uh i just want to be able to hear sounds and kind of know what they are or when i want to express a sound kind of know how to do it yeah it's like so why have like a totally different system for classical and then for jazz and totally. so i had experience with both of those systems and i just kind of thought it would be cool to make a system that could kind of work for both of them yeah and then the things that i felt were really missing from that curriculum um just doing classical and jazz was like actually analyzing a lot of pop music and then the elements that are in pop music that are special and you don't necessarily find in classical and jazz like all the world music stuff that's a yeah. really big part of pop music um even if it's just kind of like in the behind the scenes or like at the roots of it kind of level so i i just kind of included all the stuff that that uh that it seemed to me were like the best of all of those things the stuff that like is how i think music kind of works and i'm just try, like trying to present it in a way that uh is is useful to you guys yeah, yeah. well that's fucking great man and i appreciate I'm glad it you like it man. i'm sorry Thank to you. ask you teacher questions and you're like i'm doing too much no teaching, i don't mind I'm like, like oh let me ask you about it then <laughs> it's an important part of my life and i don't want to yeah. like um act like i don't like teaching what I don't like is um, not doing my art, you know, because I'm yeah. an artist, man. Like that, my like my identity is not a teacher. Like, totally. You know, like my identity is being an artist, and so um, I I love to teach, but uh, I feel like right now I'm kind of and I'm self-imposing it too. It's not like Chris sat me down and was like guess what <laughs> you're gonna have to do so much work outside of class it was just uh they were like yeah we don't really like the curriculum that we had before so you can you know we're interested in what yeah. your ideas are so it's been really cool for me to develop cool. something yeah um and but i'm spending like so much time and energy on it yeah like when i make one of those packets like that could literally be like me like spending like four days all day long Fuck, man. and I do so many things and I'm like, nah, that's not the best way to do it. And I'll scrap the whole thing and go back and do a different yeah. way. And then I'll go back. anyway, like the whole revision process and coming up with it is like incredibly time consuming. I'm looking forward to just turning it into a reader or something yeah. when I feel like it's strong enough to like. Just make a book and print it out in advance and not have to do it every week. Yeah. Well, for what it's worth, man, it's an incredible curriculum. And I think the fact that you are an artist and you clearly are an artist in the way that you articulate different concepts and ideas like mm. makes the class so fucking apl applicable, you know, and just Good. like relevant, you know. And I just know that even from people that are two, three years out that had you were just mm. like Sean Holt and Capital are like the two best like people that you can get to know at USC as far as like impressing things upon your mind and so like well that's a great honor a to lot. be you know mentioned alongside of sean and everybody else there you know it's like a pretty incredible school yeah, it's, it's part cool. of the I, irony I like for me is that like i was like oh okay honey you want to move to america <laughs> well let's go to la you know like i have all this like momentum yeah. in my professional career maybe I, i'll just you know get my degree too and then i'll be before you know it, I'll be music director for, you know, some famous band or whatever. Yeah. But uh, I came out and I became totally consumed with my workload in the DMA. It mm. took much longer than I thought it was going to take. Um, I did, you know, take a break from all the school stuff. And I went and toured 
for about a year as the guitar nice. player for Crystal Bauer Sox. She's a great singer mm. who was runner-up on American Idol a few years ago, and I was her guitar player for about a year or so on on the road. Nice. So that was fun. Um, but yeah, yeah. It's a little bit ironic that I was like, hey, let's go to L.A., that'll be cool, and then maybe we'll come back to Japan. And now, like, five years later, I'm just, like, doing nothing but making music theory packets all day long. <laughs> yeah, totally. What I do you... want to make some more songs. But I think that's writing? on the horizon. Yeah? Yeah, I'm writing. Writing for me takes a lot of time. Yeah, me too. Um, but the cool thing is, is I've discovered that all it takes is time. Mm-hmm you know yeah it's weird how that can be comforting you know yeah and intimidating it's just like this is gonna take so long i'm just like wait a minute if i just show up yeah at this machine it's awesome i can just wait and nothing will happen you know? so i have no fear about like writer's block i just like yeah you know have resentment sometimes when i don't have a, the time to finish something because mm. sometimes like i also um i think if like part of my personality is that i'm you know working in a way to kind of like like you know get like please external like i don't know i could feel like if i have a deadline basically or yeah. if i am beholden to someone to do something mm. i'll do much better than if i'm just self-motivated yeah which is a bad <laughs> aspect of my personality i feel like that's most people well <laughs> maybe but i wish i was the kind of person who was just like I have a great project in mind for myself. Right. And was just driven to achieve that because I think there are people like that and they mm. turn into really great prolific artists. For me, it's like somebody will be like, hey, we need you to make a song, you know, by tomorrow. Right, more commission. And I'm like, boom. Yeah. And I make like a great song. <laughs> and then it's like, I'm still trying to figure out like what the lyrics of the bridge should be for this song I've been writing for like the last three years. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, if it's just for me then I'm not very um, good about, like, spending the time and prioritizing it. Mm. It's interesting with the songwriting, like, program that they have here. Like, like Sean's class is, like, you know, you have to write a song every week. And I remember, like... That's cool. I want to take that class. It's a great class. Yeah. His class in particular is phenomenal. Um, like, songwriting one is very elementary. It's an awesome class. It's taught by Chris. It's super sick. But it's really, like, you know... Just basics and stuff like that. This is a G chord. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, and then songwriting, too, is Andrea Stolpe. And she's awesome because she, I don't know, really kicked my ass as a writer. And cool. really, like, um, would just, in the in the most considerate way possible, be like, oh, that was, that, was, that sucked. <laughs> you know, and she would, yeah. she would um, tell me that I wrote a bad song, but then write me, like, a five-page email on, like, inspirational like p trying to push me and then i would come in next week with like oh my god i never thought i could write something like that you know wow, that's cool and just like the fact that they make you do and i don't know there's a lot of deadlines and things just built into that but then sean is really interesting because he gets much more into like he's less into the actual technical writing aspect mm -hmm. of things and then he's just like oh you should uh you know try a five bar phrase in your bridge or something um mm -hmm. like He's more talked like about. You just said he does less technical, and then you said a really technical thing. <laughs> no, like he, like he doesn't do that. Like oh, that was I an see. example of something he wouldn't do. Okay, he, he's more into like performance and connection to your material, and yeah. he talks about like uh, I don't know, almost like the psychology of performing in an intimate space or in a big space, and just like differences between those things. And uh, I don't know, it's just a really dope class. And like I don't know, that's cool. You guys are Good gonna stuff. be like invincible, man. 
It's good. <sighs> I, I feel I like know, this man. is a special place. And again, it's you know I've been at, in a handful of places. Yeah. But I think like uh, w- one thing I really like about it is that uh, it seems like the goal is to cultivate you guys as artists, mm. and that's kind of a revolutionary goal. It's, yeah. As crazy as you it sounds. You said that in class the other day. Yeah. I, I never thought about that I've been before. thinking about that because uh, if you think about like the training you get at music school, it's like training to be a lot of times, you know, like a sideman or a backup singer. Yeah. Like, you know, here's how you do all this stuff. Here's how you sight read or whatever. All the kind of like um, rudiments and applying that and becoming like a fluid musician but being a fluid musician is different from being an artist. Yeah. And I feel like uh, you get, um, you know, like what makes you an artist are a different kind of learning experience that most people in history have gotten outside of school. Mm. But at this school, at USC right now, the curriculum, I feel like, is designed to try and bring that type of experience into the classroom. And it seems to me like it's totally working. That's why I like your tools in, in particular, because they're artistic, practical tools, and they're not just like the plan, systematic man. stuff. I think this is an incredible place, and I'm I'm definitely like a dorky fan of it. But I mm-hmm. also do think that it's like, from a student's perspective, it's, it's it's easy to make it sound cool, and it's easy to like name drop a couple things that are happening or what graduates are doing, and like kind of like people who love Portland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it's interesting to me, like. Um, I don't know, like, a lot of times I feel really insecure about it, and I feel like it's uh, just this, like, place where, you know, people send their kids that want to be rock stars or something like that to just go pretend that they're in music world for a while. Um, but that's like obviously a more garage band school. school like yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 deeper than that. But, yeah. Uh, but uh, it's good that you keep that in mind, too. And don't let it become that. Yeah. Know? Well, it's because that's the, it's the, at the end of the day, it's like what you put into it, you know? Yeah, that's and, the thing. Uh, so for know. me, like, you know, I, as I told you, um, stopped being a music major, you know, mm. after like my freshman year. But for years, I kind of regretted not learning some of that knowledge. And it was what made me like be like, well, maybe I can go back and get my doctorate and then learn that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and, so and then when I'm out in the world like playing guitar with people and people knew that I had a master's degree in music or whatever they were so enamored with that other musicians because they all everybody wishes they knew more about music Mm. and you'll meet people your whole life who are like musicians who are 20 30 40 50 years older than you who are jealous that you had my oral skills class (laughs) at eight in the morning you know what I mean and like uh so so it's really cool that you're actually doing it, but it is whether or not you apply yourself, you know, like, yeah, I think it's yeah. cool too. I'm, a, I'm also like kind of dorky into that stuff, you know, yeah. uh, like why do you like music theory and, and oral skills? I've a, I don't know, man. I didn't grow up with that stuff necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not from a classical tradition or anything. Like I'm mm-hmm. a garage band guy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I got a little bit of it in, um, high school in like a uh, choir, uh, Kind of informal, but just, you know, started to think about soul fetch and, and stuff. Sight singing yeah. and a little bit of Roman numeral analysis. And just, yeah. I started, and I didn't realize, but I was already sort of thinking in those terms, but I didn't have any, like, names for things, you right. know? And I, because I would sit down, I was just like a kid who would come home and I didn't really have any, like, friends in my neighborhood, you know, because I lived in this, like, 
the neighborhood with like a lot of old people in it and it was like 20 minutes away from school and so all the kids lived in this one town Newport Beach and they would all ride around their bikes and hang out with each other and I was like too far away you know mm. so I was kind of a lonely kid anyways and so I just like had a guitar you know and I uh, would just play on it and I would notice shapes and things like that okay right. if I go up five frets that's a lot of songs I guess do that as like a change you know but I didn't know like this okay so I remember getting into high school and learning that a fourth was five frets, and that yeah. just fucked with my mind so hard. Like I, because I, I, I just I, had, <laughs> I was gluing onto the number five, you know, right. when, I, when I would make that change, or like seven frets was a fifth, you know, uh-huh. and so I, I would count the half steps as intervals. Like that was my little yeah. system that I had made for myself. And so when I learned like actual systems, I was like, oh my god, that makes so much sense. And I just, I don't know, I, I just loved it all, and I like wanted to learn about it and i um i dated this girl who was like a classical musician and uh just the way that she could talk about things i was so jealous you know um and i yeah and i just was more uh because i i guess i think in those terms and, mm-hmm. and so i i don't know i just like that type of stuff and um so like last year like some of the pop kids were into it um but i there were some times where I was definitely like felt in the minority for mm-hmm. being excited about, you know, mm-hmm. spending some time with some cool music. And, uh, it's maybe cause I like knew like I looked up to my choir teacher a lot and like, he just knew a lot about classical music and he would do these like really brief, um, conversations at the end of uh class, like where he would just introduce like a cool piece of music. And I just, I wanted to know about it. I wanted to be able to speak about it eloquently. And like I was reading, um, David Byrne has a book on like how music works and like I've uh, seen that it's a pretty cool like book it's I've, it, like read a couple chapters while yeah. I was standing around like waiting for Lady Hawk to like stop pretending <laughs> she was shopping <laughs> in a store like I'd be in yeah. Urban Outfitters or something yeah, just that's standing right. be there sold. <laughs> and like reading the books it's pretty interesting for for a kid who's just you know whose only exposure to music has been from playing in bands and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty cool, just like very surface level, um, introduction into just like how to think about music in, in general, you know? Um, and I was just, I was into that type of stuff and I was into like, I knew that Elliot Smith, like who was a songwriter I was really into in high school and, mm-hmm. and still I'm super into, but, um, I just knew that he was into classical music. And so like, there were like these songwriters, like, uh, you know, like Brian Wilson and stuff like that. And I was just like, I don't know, jealous that they knew all these secrets or something. And, um, it's dope, man. Like, yeah. Those sounds. Are just yeah. Like... So I just wanted to understand it and be able to do it and, um, and talk about it. And, uh, yeah. And so I actually took classical last semester and yeah. I wasn't in your classes. Yeah. And it was interesting for a lot of reasons. One, because I just assumed, just based on my own insecurities, that just like pop musicians were just like worse <laughs> than uh-huh. classical musicians. And it was really interesting, like, uh, kind of being on the other side of the fence, you know. And, like, my first year walk, because the first year the classes are integrated or whatever. Right. And uh, I don't know. I just always, like, I have this very, like, fetish, fetishized idea of the classical wor- world where, like, everyone there just loves music more than I do. Mm. And they're just more dedicated and they just are better at everything. And I, like, spent some time in that classroom, like, alongside, you know, people who are classical musicians and like there was a lot of stuff that they were better at like they could they just knew sheet music way more than i did Mm -hmm. and we're just way better at reading and Mm -hmm. spelling chords and things like that like on a dime you know um 
but like they weren't necessarily like any more excited about it than I was or and like a lot of people were really apathetic and I was like what <laughs> like and it was it was fascinating for me to see for the first time that musicianship wasn't necessarily like relative to genre mm. you know and I was like my oral skills are fine <laughs> you know like yeah. there were things that I was better at and there were things that I were worse at but it, I definitely was like just in the mix as a musician and so it was validating for a lot of reasons that's cool um, yeah I liked it a lot and it was also cool just to like I just had no exposure to any um, like classical music, and so I got to like dive into some really cool like late romantic harmony and stuff like that. And so as a writer, I could be like, so oh, like good. I honestly like wish I paid more attention in that class because like because the pop curriculum is so demanding. Like I didn't have as much time to like really soak all that stuff up. Mm-hmm. So I still have some of the scores, and I keep telling myself that I'm gonna <laughs> go back through them and stuff. The best thing you can do is just transcribe romantic music yeah just put on Transcribe some rebel and just like figure out how to play those chords on the guitar yeah that would be like the way yeah that that'd be the way to really like yeah. uh digest that stuff yeah but it was it was just interesting because also the vibe of the particular class i was taking was just like very tense you know and uh i think just because the classical tradition is much more formal mm-hmm. and structured mm-hmm there was this very intense sort of energy about it. And uh, I don't know. There was a lot. And it was just a totally different vibe and attitude. And while I loved it and it was fascinating, like taking the pop classes, like, and also I would have to draw all the parallels. Like I could appreciate the music in its own world, you know, like, wow, this, you know, Bach piece is amazing. But then I would have to draw the parallels to like what I do on my own you know mm. and sometimes i wouldn't either have the mental energy or like capacity to be able to do that um or i wouldn't spend enough time with it to be like oh and this informs you know a song mm-hmm. that i could write using this like sense of harmony or something like that um but the cool thing about your class is like if if, if we are studying a piece of classical music like you're you could draw those insights you know and stuff like that and just the vibe is just so like it, it just gave me perspective on what the pop music world is, you know, mm. um, like a very direct comparison of like, oh, these are pros and cons of this sort of life. And it was sort of a thing that I was fascinated with, um, mainly just because of like stereotypes, you know, of like pop musicians just being like bad, <laughs> you know, and uh, like classic musicians being like really stuck up, but really good. And I found like a lot of classical musicians that were just as curious as I was and were would come to rock shows and we would talk about a Mac DeMarco album or something like that. Mm. And then I, you know, there are pretentious pop musicians and like, you know, it was just cool to see like, you know, nuanced real people on either side of the fence. And like, I don't know. It was cool. It's all music, man. It's all music, man. (laughs) It's all human expression. You know, one thing that they're good at in classical music, I think is, and I think it might come partly from their focus on like tone production. Yeah. They're good at getting inside their notes. Mm. I don't know about all of them, but I guess from <laughs> my experience, like yeah. kind of trying to play with a classical mindset um, where I'm really focused on, you know, the nuance of expression. How am I, how exactly I'm going to sing like the next five notes with my hands, like yeah. on the guitar. Um, I feel like sometimes that takes my attention into a place where I'm inside the notes, like looking out through my fingers, rather than my attention yeah. up in my head, like looking down at my hands or something <laughs> lame. Like a, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like classical, 
maybe partly because of that, just like that focus on tone, it just kind of like brings your mind inside the notes. I really like that about it. Yeah, just the dedication in general. Like I just, every time I'm in here in Gateway, just seeing, I don't know, people uh, just... I don't know. I feel like classical majors have such a strong relationship with their instrument. Yeah. You know, and there's sometimes where I pick up my bass guitar and I'm just like, I don't know. <laughs> and I like that they don't like celebrate um, devolution in classical music, mm. like dumbing down or stuff. Like, uh, I love the entire spectrum of, you know, artistic expression from like the most simple, repetitive. Ramon song. Yeah, to like yeah. the most complex thing. I I just don't believe that something is good because it's simple or good yeah. because it's complex. Yeah. It's just good when it's good and it can be like one note that's like totally connects and that's it. Yeah. That could be just as perfect a, a work of art as just like, you know, like like a whole like Wagner cycle yeah. of operas <laughs> or whatever. But uh, yeah, like... um I don't like one thing that kind of bums me out sometimes is when I feel like people are sort of celebrating kind of ignorance or, you know, like just want to forget about all the cool options and focus on just one, four and five just for the sake of like the ethos of being like fuck complex stuff. Yeah. I'm just like, (laughs) like why, why like limit yourself away from all these things that actually might be right for whatever you're... I don't don't know. I don't know if I'm saying it well. I grew up around a lot of people like that, and I remember there was this very distinct time. I was about a junior in high school where I was like, should I start learning music theory or not? Because I thought it was going to box my creativity up, you know? And I was like, I'm going to think in all these terms. It's going to teach me how to think, and I, I, I like the fact that I can just obliviously and sort of mysteriously and blissfully just sort of explore... And find things, you know. That's how but I thought about it. Don't you still do that now? You yeah, know? that's the thing. That's when I found thing, out like, when I started thinking in those terms, it didn't touch that at all. Right. And I, did, I totally thought it would. There's just a, it's just a completely separate set of tools, right. you know. And I just knew so many people, so many rock kids that as I would start to speak in Roman numerals and rehearsals and things like that, would just be totally turned off to it and be like, ah, I fucking hate that shit, mm-hmm. you know. Like, don't poison me with that system of rules, you know. And it's just. I don't know, I, but I remember distinctly at a time being afraid of that and then sort of like, eventu- and I, I had a, a singing coach at the time who said just like, the more musicians you're able to communicate with, the better. So mm-hmm. like, why not, you know, why not learn? Yeah, you know, there's all that theory. practical stuff. Yeah. For me, like, you know, I am a doctor of music and <laughs> I teach music theory at a world-class university. Yeah. <laughs> and guess what? When I write a song, I'm not thinking about any of that stuff at all. <laughs> like, literally, like, I'll just, yeah. like, put my hand on the guitar and see what starts to happen and then just follow my ear. Yeah. But uh, what I find is, that because I know all this music theory, like, um, when I have an idea an emotional idea. I just kind of like know where to find it. Yeah. So that's nice. And the other thing is it makes me aware of of uh like you know stuff that I keep doing over and over again cuz I if I want to be like creating something fresh all the time then it might kind of bum me out to learn 10 years later that actually all of my songs were the same progression, just <laughs> in different keys, and I didn't even know it because yeah. you know, I just like, 
And uh, so anyway, like just knowing what it is, like after I find it, sometimes I'm like, totally. Okay, that's cool. But actually, you just wrote the same thing as that other thing. Why don't we make something yeah, new? Totally. So like the only time that knowledge of music theory might steer me away from an, a pure idea I had is when I realized it was kind of a lame idea or just not actually fresh or whatever. Yeah. So, like, the only advantage to not knowing that stuff would be the bliss of, like, ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> and the effect would be, like, that I was just, like, you know, not doing the coolest stuff that I could. I don't know. Yeah. I can't really express it very well. And I I'm obviously you, preaching to the choir, so I don't have to, like, <laughs> convince you that music theory is cool. No, but. I feel you, though, but, like, because I, I, I don't know, just the idea that on, like, without learning from any you know without listening to anyone else's music or like trying to figure out how it works that i would just stumble upon you know something original and creative like right because like i'm gonna be influenced by what i'm listening to anyways you know and that's gonna be it's gonna show up in my music so like mm -hmm. the idea that like if i just don't think about it that i'm better served you know and like rather than just like turning around and like i don't know trying to be informed by it to make something new or something. proof is in the pudding man know. yeah <laughs> let's see what kind of great stuff you write you know after you've heard all these amazing chords you know like we'll for see, me man. like it's always like you know yeah the more music i've listened to definitely the more i feel like i'm able to find cool stuff i'm in a rut not a rut but just i feel like lately i've just been one four five in it just writing like three chord country songs <laughs> well and that can be super cool you know too yeah i don't want to like act like that's not cool no like i'll put on a john prine record or something like that and it'll just blow my mind you know mm -hmm. and because uh, it'll it'll be just that it'll be two three chord country songs that are right. just crushingly great but then you throw in like a paul simon record where he's changing keys every five six measures and it's right. so natural like i was yeah. i um the song i did my transcription this week this song called papa hobo Boom. and it's like I've, I've listened to that song so many times and never thought really that it modulated or anything and then i went and like was just messing with the chords this week and it's just so smooth and deceptive and he just literally moves through like five or six different keys on his just on his acoustic guitar you know man way to bring it back to brazilian <laughs> music that theme from yeah. before when i was saying how like they just slide him in under the radar yeah just, like all this intense harmonic motion and you're like no wonder yeah like my heart was just like on this incredibly rich journey just now mm. yeah rocking man do you speaking of like writing tunes and trying to like play songs would, do you want to play a song sure um maybe we can we kind of like get ready for that should we pause yeah. this or something totally man uh sweet man all right so i'm gonna try to play this new song called um too tight shoes yeah when'd you write it uh i'm kind of like been working on it for sort of a while but i feel like i finished writing it like a couple months ago heck yeah man i've been trying to find the right key yeah blah 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 do you want to know what it's about i if only if you want to or you could be mysterious and just it's it. basically about um it's about kind of like feeling like you're in kind of trapped in sort of like a codependent relationship that you but then when you escape it you have a realization too real too real capital 
Go for it, man. So it goes like I'm gonna so I'm gonna try to kind of like express different melodies and stuff on the guitar and a bass line and stuff. It's gonna maybe sound kind of like a weird guitar part, but hopefully you'll get a sense of all the musics that I'm hearing in my mind's eye. Boom. ever nearer all of our fears on ten but muted when we hit the lights I woke up confused defenseless burning leather and swimming senses who spread razors and glass around this home who locked these fences staying here with you wonderful slippers and socks so comfortable outside the torch cackles and spews fire on the porch your two tight shoes Slip in your office, spoon on the floor, chocolate half-eaten, bitter sweat trickling down in your sweet neck, into your red desk drawer, unlocked and open, I push it back in and I walk away now, never knowing what you wanted me for, or why the knob falls right off of your front door, breaking my feet, forcing through tears, my one way out from here. You wake up confused between the burning walls and the boiling ice cream. You spread razors and glass around our home. You locked in our dream. Staying here with you was wonderful. Slippers and socks so comfortable. My soles are skinned, my toes are blue from running in your too tight shoes. Around our home, I burn my 
song called Too Tight Shoes. Ew. That was fucking great. The other thing is though, right now I'm playing my seven string guitar but I'm playing songs that I don't use that string on. So uh, when I accidentally play it it kind of ruins everything. Anyway, this song is called One Small Flower. Yeah. And it's about something that is like seems very um, fragile but actually... Um, has an incredible m- amount of like resilience and power and magic. Yeah. It goes like this. under a cement truck lies beside a new home with a view she'll never stand up again but she stands up again one small flower stuffed into a boy's pocket Thrown off the ferry into the salt sea She swims along to the shore Where she grows strong once more There are wonders that we'll never see Beauty no eyes behold Lines of power forever unplugged Beauty no eyes behold There are wonders that we'll never see Beauty no eyes behold Lines of power forever unplugged Beauty no eyes behold 
insert saxophone solo. <laughs> grows out on a satellite Round the earth she flows swimming in starlight She can't survive on her own but she's alive all alone There are wonders that we'll never see Beauty no eyes behold Lines of power forever unplugged Beauty no eyes behold Yeah, man. That was gorgeous. One small flower. One small flower. Dude, I need to hear a record of your tunes, man. That, you, that's incredible. Yeah. I'm going to try to make some new stuff. I'm trying to make some new stuff. Yeah. Basically, I've recorded on all these things, and I don't think any of them are good mm. from the past. But I'm ready to make yeah. the real me album. Dude, I'm I want to hear it because like this is this is incredible music, man. I'm glad you dig it. Do you want to play Take with me on one more song? Yeah, absolutely. or are we kind of like pushing our luck here by Dude, doing all these songs. We have unlimited see tape here. Okay, great, yeah, great. We're not pushing our luck at all. Let me go grab my guitar. Okay. So, uh, remember when I was telling you today about how, um, when I turned 20, I wrote like an epic lonely journal yeah. entry about yeah. how I felt like, you know, my youth was over. I've got a lot of those in my journal. So I like, know. I don't know, man, I've spent a, like many hours, um, with the feeling like I wasn't keeping up with something mm-hmm. like the, like the time was ticking away. I was losing my shot at this or that. And like, you know, time was ticking away and just going by too fast for me to catch up and become like, achieve my goals, achieve my goals. And so I wrote this song, like feeling um, like I was in the middle of, you know, like this expanding universe Mm. where my nostalgia for the past is getting farther and farther away from me as I grow up. Yeah. You know, like those memories are fading and like turning into something so far away I can't even touch them. Mm. Meanwhile, at the same time, all of the goals I have for my future all seem like they're going away too in the other direction. So you're like in between this universe where like your past is getting farther away and so is your future. It's like I can't reach back and grab those and I also can't reach (laughs) the stuff in front of me anymore. Yeah. Just that feeling like of being stuck between life moving too fast and too slowly at the same time. Damn. That's what this song is about. One, two, three, four. I was suspicious and afraid The world was vicious and it made no sense at all But mother's arms were there to capture me from harm I learned to trust, I started small, I learned to crawl 
As I crawl through the snow, my life moves so slow. Why does it move so slowly? As I cling to the past, my life moves so fast. Why does it run right past me? tiger in the wild each step i took my daddy smiled and said to me precious son i know that soon the day will come you'll see a dream beyond the sun and you will run I cling to the past, my life moves so fast, why does it run right past me? And as a young man, I wandered to such far off lands, the world was endless and fit in my hands. But somewhere still waiting, my dream has started fading, I'm running just as fast as I can. Dude, thanks for letting me hop on that song, man. You killed it, man. Thank you. Thanks for doing my podcast. Dude, what a pledge. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course, man. Honored to be on the pantheon of like your oh. incredibly creative friends, man. <laughs> and that's the show, friends. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I thought that was like so cool, man. Capital, great human being. Have a great uh, week, everybody. I uh, hope you had a good Easter and all that. And uh, yeah, springtime, it's a great time. So yeah, enjoy the world. Bye, friends. <laughs>